on August 14th, 
they pull out of Poland and in the midst of that vacuum, the Soviets came in and set up their communistic regime in the years that followed in Poland because they were so vulnerable. And really the people did not uh, understand all that was happening, but the Soviets came in. Uh, some of us who have been to Moldova understand the dynamics of Soviet-controlled countries. And so Poland becomes a part of the Soviet block of nations. And we used to go to Moldova, and uh, Moldova had a government, but basically they were a puppet state of the Soviet Union, and particularly Transnistria. But Poland became that, and the communists, even though Poland did not have any of this history, um, they came up and they set up communism in Poland after World War II so that the Soviet-controlled government set employment, housing, wages, the price of bread. They controlled everything. In the decades that followed, there was a sense of dissatisfaction and there would be protests that would arise. And this began to intensify in the 1970s. And workers began to protest the living conditions and working conditions and wages and food prices. Lech Walesa became a part of that movement as, as a young man. Now, he's, he's born to a, uh, a working class family. He is by trade an electrician at the Lenin shipyard plant in northern Poland. But he becomes a part of this so much so that by 1976 the the government put their squeeze on him and they fired him from his his position, position there and he had very little means to support himself. In 1980 these protests intensified through the summer Uh, in the midst of some of those protests the strong arm of the government went in and they they killed people in the midst of the protest and so obviously that began to feed on this great sense of injustice Uh, in August the government announced that they were raising the price of meat but they were not raising the people's wages this also began to fuel this for the people at the linen shipyard in August uh, there was a popular uh, uh, worker there who was a woman and she operated a crane I can't pronounce her name she was within five months of retirement and so I guess in the Soviet system you would work and then at some point you would get a pension. Uh, but she was also vocal against the things that the government was doing. And five months short of retirement, they fired her, which means she would not receive any pension. And that event was the straw that the workers said, Something has to change. And on, on, 
at daylight, August 14th, 1980, 17,000 workers, I guess coming to their shift, they took control of that plant and they barricaded themselves in there until something changed. And that was the morning. Lech Valenza, actually, the secret police are rounding up people that morning. And Lech Valenza narrowly escapes the secret police, finds his way to that, that plant, scales the barbed wire fence, and joins the 17,000 others inside. And he becomes the leader of the solidarity movement that day. They were going to stay until something changed. There was a great sense of hope and energy in that group. Uh, there were other places in Poland that day when they heard the news of what had happened at the Lenin shipyard. They followed suit and went on strike and took control of their places of business. The movement began to spread. At the Lenin shipyard, they, in the days that followed, they posted what they called the 21 postulates. There were 21 statements. They said, these are things that have to change. They were, they were demands to say, this is what we're calling on the government to do. And as I said, in the course of the next two weeks, it began to spread across the country and more and more places began to rise up in protest against the Soviet-controlled communistic government. Seventeen days later, on August 31st, the government agreed to negotiate, which is unheard of in a Soviet-controlled country, to negotiate with the workers. And the representative, one of the key representatives for the workers was the young man born in a working-class family by trade, a simple electrician who had been fired from his job, Lech Valenza. And he sat down at the table with <laughs> the communistic leaders backed by the Soviet Union and he made his demands. And the government conceded. At least to the point of allowing them a trade union that they could organize as workers. Uh, this isn't the actual scene. Uh, but obviously that's the fence at the shipyard. And I don't, I don't know when this picture actually falls in place, but uh, there was another scene that actually we couldn't get uh, good quality of. But if you Google it online, you'll see it. That day, August 31st, Lech Valenza left the negotiations with the government, went back to the shipyard, and there were some 200,000 people who had gathered to that place outside the fence and Lech Valenza spoke to them the historic words. He said, he announced, We have an independent, self-governing trade union. We have the right to strike. 
for the first time ever in a Soviet bloc nation, there was an independent trade union that had rights. Over the next 15 months, there was such a groundswell. From the, now think about it, this one group that was bound together in solidarity. And it became known as the Solidarity Movement. Over the next 15 months, the 17,000 became 10 million workers in Poland. One out of every three people in Poland joined the Solidarity Trade Union. They joined together to stand against the oppressive Soviet communistic governments. The groundswell became so great that into, I guess, the end of 1981, uh, there was a backlash. And the Soviet-controlled government began to crack down. They declared martial law. They declared solidarity trade union to be illegal. And they arrested and jailed the leaders of the movement, including Lech Walesa. And for the next year, Lech Walesa and the leaders of this movement were put in jail But do you understand there is something happens when there is a groundswell of people that even in the midst of opposition, there is a movement that cannot be stopped. After a year, Lech Valenza and the others were released, but they continued to be followed and they were under heavy surveillance. Their houses were monitored and bugged. 1983, Lech Valenza was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Not that he was able to go and to accept the award because he couldn't leave the country. was not allowed to leave the country. The movement continued. And by 1990... Lech Walesa is the first democratically elected president of Poland. Within 10 years, democracy has come. And if you think about your history, do you understand what happened through the 1980s and the early 90s? It wasn't just that Poland was freed from Soviet control. No countries like Moldova and other countries began to rise up to say, we will not live under this tyranny. And in those years, the Soviet empire begins to crumble. And history's changed because August 14, 1987, thousand workers bound themselves together in solidarity until change would come 
led by a simple electrician in his 30s, Lech Valenza, who became the spokesman and the leader and eventually Nobel Prize winner and president of Poland, representing the people. I think that story is true for all revolutionary movements. I'm sure I could have told a story this morning about the American Revolution or the French Revolution. But I would say the same thing that happened in Poland has repeated itself throughout history when a group of people bind themselves together in solidarity unified in purpose and in life there is a power that will defeat all ideology economics, military, whatever the powers may be. There is power in unity. If you think about it, that's also the case for Christianity. 2,000 years ago. A simple carpenter from Nazareth gathers together 12 men and he spends three years with them. They, I think they spend every day together. I mean, they... They, they lived together. They traveled together. Jesus of Nazareth gathers a small group who in time became unified in purpose and in life. And for three years He taught them. And for sure He taught them about God and what it meant to be His follower. But one of the things that strikes me about what Jesus ingrained in the men was a sense of commitment. Oh, there were several times that Jesus talked about this, I'm sure, but one of them I think of his words in Luke's Gospel 9:23 when he says if any if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and come follow me. Jesus would talk to the men that you really have to be willing to die for what this is about. I think the implication was there wouldn't be any power if there was not this deep sense of commitment that this is life-changing and that on this place we will take our stand to say this is worth dying for. Hmm. And in time the men would die.
But in Jesus' three years and as he was crucified and resurrected and appeared over 40 days to his followers and he ascended to the Father and he said, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power on high. And Luke records in the history of the church in Acts that there were 120 of them (laughs) on the day of Pentecost. He describes it in this way in Acts 1.14. He said, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And when you took that group of people (laughs) whom Jesus had commissioned... If we just looked at Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus had told them what their purpose was about. And you bound them together, not just in purpose, but in life in that I kind of get that same sense of what happened. There, the 120 are in this upper room and they're there for 10 days in one accord, in prayer and supplication, waiting for the promise that Jesus said. And when you, I don't know what the Holy Spirit sounds like, when you, boom! <laughs> yeah, Brother Barry, you with me now? Brother Barry said, now keep me awake this morning. That was one of your wake-up points, all right, right there. Boom! When you add the Holy Spirit to that group who is unified in life and in purpose... The world changes. And so it did on the day of Pentecost as they preached the gospel. And Luke records 3,000 people joined the 120. And in Acts 2, 44, this is the way Luke describes their life in those days. He says in Luke 2, 44, through 47. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The disciples knew what their mission was. And they joined their lives together. They were unified in purpose and in life. Their mission was to proclaim the gospel and to make other disciples who would make other disciples who would make other disciples until the gospel of the kingdom had gone into all the world. And then Jesus said, then I will come back. But they not only shared their mission, but it is described in Luke's account that they shared their lives together. Verse 44, now all who believed were together. I believe that is a sense of not only were they in the same space, did they spend time with each other daily, 
But they were on the same page. They knew what they were about. They knew what they believed. They knew what Jesus Christ had done. And so you see this description of them sharing their lives together, that in those days that those who had possessions sold them, and they took care of anyone who had needs. They had all things in common. Verse 46, it says, so continuing daily. So every day they were a part of this life, of this purpose, of this life. They were together. And then... Luke has that kind of famous phrase from Acts when he says, so continuing daily with one accord. That phrase with one accord, and sometimes it's included in one accord, is actually one word in the Greek and it means to have the same mind. It's a word that means to have the same mind. He's already used it in 114. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Uh, 424. So this is at, in, in the midst of persecution. They come back. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And they pray in one accord. And then in 5.12, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. You know the thing that strikes me that when the followers of Jesus were bound together in their purpose and in their life. They were living that out. And they were together that there was great power. Because it says in those days, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so the movement began. And that movement changed the world to such an extent that we would build a building large enough for about 425 people together in one place once a week to serve the same Lord that they followed 2,000 years ago and traveled quite a distance from Palestine to where we are in Huntington, Texas. Hmm. There is power... in being unified in purpose and in life. I shared this with you last week, but it bears repeating. Jesus in the upper room prayed for us. In John 17, 20 and 21, He says, I do not pray for these alone, the twelve that are there with Him, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed not only for the twelve, but for those who would believe through the twelve 
that they would be unified in purpose and in life so His power might flow through them that all the world might come to faith in Christ. Hmm. And so, so it is for us as a church today, 2017. The same principle that we see in the early church of power and unity The same thing we have seen in, at least in my lifetime, in the revolution that began began in the linen shipyards in Poland, August 14th of 1980. So it is for us today, as a church, Huntington First Baptist Church. Surely the disciples wanted something more. Otherwise, why would they have left their lives to follow Jesus of Nazareth? Surely the Polish workers wanted something more than their life of oppression under the communistic Soviet regime. There is power in being unified in purpose and in life. And so for me as your pastor, 2017, the challenge is in the one word, together. That God would bind us together, unified in purpose and in life. That we might see God do all that God would want to do through our midst. Brother Josh, I was reading in our Blackaby devotional this morning. And the scripture was, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. I thought, oh God, you got me this morning. Apparently God knew what I was about to preach. Because it's Blackaby said, your plans are dinky. Well, he didn't use this. is Daryl Smith's translation. Your plans are dinky compared to what God has planned. Have you thought about it, people? If God changed the world through 120, we've got twice that many here today. What he could do in our midst if we were unified in purpose, and in life. If we were together. Last Sunday, I shared about our mission as a church to make disciples and our strategy to fulfill that mission at Huntington First Baptist Church, and I shared with you what we call the house diagram. It describes a strategy that is intentional and streamlined to meet the one goal to make disciples. If you weren't here last Sunday morning, 
through the means of technology, you can access our Facebook account and you can look at my presentation of that. It only took me about four minutes by video. I'm not suggesting you do that for all of my sermons. Uh, You probably need the 40 minutes instead of the four minutes. But if you were not here, I would encourage you this afternoon, go home, look at our Facebook page, click on the video of the house diagram, and I will lay that out if you need to hear it of what our strategy as a church is to make disciples. We could summarize it by the three other words that are on our promotional posters and we have t-shirts. That together we gather, we grow, and we go. You'll also see in our building, I mean, we have 12 marks of the disciple. And if you were here last Sunday or you watch it on Facebook, you'll see those. As indicators of how we know that we are making disciples. But our basic three-step process is to gather together, to grow together, to go together. For us to be together in 2017, we must be unified in purpose. Which means that we must, as in any movement that has power, we must set aside our own personal agendas for the agenda of the group. Do you understand that that the church today has lost its power to impact our culture because, partly because we have too many agendas? A revolutionary movement only has incredible power when there is incredible unity of purpose that everyone knows this is what we're about and we're all moving in that direction as long as the church caters to a consumer mentality the church will not be empowered i understand as your pastor. The easiest thing for me and for the church to do is to meet the needs of people and to serve people in what they want. I did that for many years as a pastor. And I came to the conclusion There's no end to it, and there's no power in it. The only chance the church has is to learn from history and from the Scriptures that we must be unified in purpose, that it's not about me, and it's not about meeting my needs. It's about meeting His mission that says we are to make disciples of all nations. But I believe coupled with that, not only are we to be unified in purpose, but we must be unified in life. The workers in the linen shipyard barricaded themselves into a building and said, we will either die here or things will 
change. Now that's some togetherness. I don't know if... I think it was probably a bunch of men and they looked around about lunchtime and went, wait a second, what were we going to do for lunch today? That was a joke. Okay. Whoa, guys, I don't think we thought through this. We're getting hungry. No, I thought about it. They barricaded themselves in there. I don't know. Maybe they had their lunchbox. Maybe they had lunch and then it was about supper time. I was like, okay, this is getting a little low. No, it was, we are staying here until something changes. And I think it kind of probably got a little bit ugly in the midst of those 17 days. They were unified not only in purpose, but they were unified in life. We see the same things in the life of Jesus and the disciples that for three years they spent life together. I believe for us to be together in 2017, we must not only be unified in purpose, but we must be unified in life which means that we must develop deeper, more personal relationships among ourselves within the body that we share our lives even as we see described in Acts 2 in the early church. Together is the challenge for 2017 that we gather together, we grow together, we go together. That we are unified in purpose and in life. Um, I think the critical step today is the step of commitment that is expressed by the statement, I'm in. I don't know if the linen shipyards, if there were some men that day when the 17,000 gathered together, there were some that said, oh, wait a second. I, I don't know that I'm interested in this. I've got a family I've got to take care of. I've got... And maybe there were people that left that day. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there were some that left in the midst of the 17 days. I don't know. But I believe there's a critical step of commitment that we must make to say, no, I'm in. I'm committed to the purpose and I'm committed to life with this body of believers to say I'm in. Um, I want us, Brother Shane's going to come. I don't, maybe there's other musicians that are going to come. I don't know. Um, this morning I want us to pray together. During our time of invitation, Byron and I are going to be at the front, but in just a minute we're going to pray together. Uh, I also shared last week that the 12 months of this year, we are going to select one of the 12 marks of the disciple that are displayed in our building. You can see those. Uh, January's mark that we are going to emphasize is the mark devoted to prayer. Byron, there's also, if you want to hear what I shared, that's also on the Facebook page. If you'll see January devoted to prayer, you can click on that and I talk about that. I want to encourage you as your pastor in the month of January that you, you pray with God every day, that you talk with Him uh, alone, 
but in the midst of a given week that you also pray with your family and that you pray on a weekly basis with other believers if that's in your life group or wherever that is or here at church or wherever the five Sundays of January we are challenging you that we start with ourselves and so last Sunday I said I want you to start with yourself and say God begin a work in me and if you weren't here we we circled the sanctuary wasn't even sure we could do it holding hands to pray this Sunday the challenge the second Sunday we want you to pray for us as a church the third Sunday to pray for our Huntington community the fourth Sunday to pray and that week to pray for our nation that's inauguration weekend and then the fifth uh, Sunday and that next week to pray for our world um, and so this morning won't you stand stand with me uh, and as I said Byron and I will be at the front but I would like us to pray together this morning to pray for us as a church for God to do in our midst what he would want to do and so uh, Shane's going to play uh, what I want you to do is I want you to gather into prayer clusters about five or six people so you, you'll have to turn um, and when you gather, uh, you can share whatever you want to share about what God's speaking to you about and what God needs to do in your life. You don't have to share. But someone at some point after you've anybody said whatever they need to say, uh, I just want one person in the midst of that prayer cluster of about five to six people to just lead that small group in prayer. Now, uh, when you get through, just continue to main, remain standing and we'll wait for all the groups to finish and like I said Byron and I will be at the front um, this is about sharing life together and so if you'll just find you a group of five or six share whatever you need to share and then um, someone in that group just lead in prayer Byron and I'll be at the front if you need to visit with us